May 10th, 2019. It's Mother's Day, and Mom Suzanne Morphew is home while her husband Barry is an hour and a half away on a job site. When Suzanne's daughters can't get in touch with their mother that Sunday, they're worried. But they aren't the only ones. No one can seem to find Suzanne. This case has more twists and turns than a cheap garden hose. And now, with new information, maybe investigators are getting another chance to get it right. This is Suzanne and Barry Morphew, unraveling a mystery of marriage and murder. Hey, y'all, I'm Chris Calvert. And I'm her husband, Rob Potter. Welcome to Hitch to Homicide. For better or worse. Till death do us part. everybody yes welcome 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 and for our friends in nigeria okay no 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 that's an easy one <laughs> i know that's why i, I like it. that <laughs> i like that yep well wherever you are listening to us right now be sure to hit that subscribe button you can also rate us and give us a review we appreciate those so much yes we do we love hearing from you guys. Yes, we do. And speaking of, be sure to join the In-Laws and Outlaws, our closed Facebook group, where you're guaranteed a laugh from one of the family <laughs> on a daily basis. Absolutely. Well, this case is so interesting. And just two weeks ago, this case, which happened in 2019, is back in the headlines. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. Very exciting. Okay. Very current. This is a current event. You you guys know I love to do historical crimes. <laughs> yep. But this one's like two weeks ago. Okay. We've got new information. All right. Before we get started, let me thank some sources. The Denver Gazette, NBC affiliate Channel 9 News in Colorado, HuffPost.com, The Daily Mail, CBS 48 Hours, and Court TV. All right. Well, you ready? I am. Let's do it. Suzanne Mormon Morphew is born on May 2nd, 1971 in Indiana. Okay. Her parents are Jean and Adrian Burnett Mormon. Okay. Suzanne's father owned, Rob's going to love this, Suzanne's dad owned a root beer stand. All right. In Anderson, Indiana. B&K root beer stand. Yeah. Yeah. Jean's root beer. That's what it was called. Nice. And this is where Suzanne grew up with her brothers, David and Andrew, and a sister, Melinda. Okay. Now, Suzanne went to high school in Alexandria, Indiana, which is just 11 miles north of Anderson. This is all just a little bit northeast of Indianapolis. Okay. But- she goes to school at Alexandria Monroe Senior High School. All right. And also in her class is a boy named Jeff Libler. Okay. That's called foreshadowing. Uh-oh. Scotty, help me. It's early, but the <laughs> foreshadowing is, has already come out of right. the closet. <laughs> yep. And Scotty helped. He did. But one of the standout athletes at her high school was a boy named Barry Morphew. Okay. Barry was two years older than Suzanne. He was a baseball player, and he was a good baseball player. Hmm. He's so good, he's drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays 
in the 42nd round of the 1986 MLB June Amateur Draft. Nice. Barry thought about going to school at Michigan State, but he signs with the Blue Jays organization, and I believe he played one year on their farm team. Oh, wow. He played second and third base. I had a classmate of mine that got drafted by the Jays. Well, our former next-door neighbor was a Major League Baseball pitcher. There you go. We know a little bit about baseball around here. A little bit. A son that played baseball. Yep, and I'm... A lifelong Reds fan. He is a no matter how bad they are, y'all. <laughs> he still sticks with his Reds. I do. Not a fair weather fan at all. At all. But Suzanne meets Barry not at school, but on a golf course. Barry worked at this golf course in the summer, tending the greens, and she lived on the first tee. Hmm. And she is still in high school. Okay. Now injuries are going to end Barry's baseball career. He comes home and he starts a landscaping business. And in 1994, Barry and Suzanne are married. But before these two even start a family, Suzanne is diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. She goes into remission and they will go on to have two daughters, Macy and Mallory. In 2018, Mallory, their oldest daughter, goes off to college at Western State University in Gunnison, Colorado. And the whole family moves to Colorado to be closer to Mallory. Hmm. And I think they were also just trying to find a fresh start in their marriage. Right. That from at least several sources that I read. Okay. Because by 2018, Suzanne and Barry's marriage was starting to fall apart. Hmm. Money was one of the things they fought over, with Suzanne confiding in her friend that 80% of their arguments are because of money. Uh. Also in May of 2018, Suzanne's cancer returns, her Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. And then she takes her last chemo treatment on October 1st, 2019. Okay. Now, despite her cancer diagnosis, Suzanne is super fit. She's also very beautiful. This whole family is really pretty. He's handsome. Both of the daughters are beautiful. And the mom, Suzanne, is gorgeous. She's super fit. She loves the gym. She's a runner. She liked to hike. She liked to ride her bike. She's just beautiful inside and out. Everybody loved her and said she was completely devoted to her two daughters. They're the kind of family that you see in the picture frames that you buy. They are that kind of family. (laughs) Yeah. What's the line in Steel Magnolias? They look like they're carved out of cream cheese. (laughs) Just perfect. Nice. But by September of 2018, when they're moving to Colorado, Suzanne tells her best friend, Sheila Oliver, details about this failing marriage. She sent her best friend texts, and they would talk nearly every day, where Suzanne would say things like, quote, he won't speak of divorce, and, quote, I feel no peace when he's here, end Mm. quote. Now, by Thanksgiving of 2018, Suzanne sees her best friend Sheila in Indiana over the holiday, and as 2018 rolled over into 2019, Suzanne and her high school friend, Jeff Libler, start chatting over text. Uh Uh-oh. It's February 2019, and Suzanne reaches out to Jeff on Facebook saying, quote, Howdy, stranger, end quote. Mm, No good can come of this. (laughs) Not when there's foreshadowing already. Yeah, yeah, and I already played the piano. You did, yeah. yeah. But these two are going to talk for the next couple of years on WhatsApp and LinkedIn. Okay. And Jeff is married and has six children. Whoa. Then on Valentine's Day 2019, Suzanne Morphew and Jeff Libler's relationship goes from friends 
to lovers. Okay. They meet up in New Orleans while he's there for a conference. And after that, they continue to connect over LinkedIn and WhatsApp. And they meet in person six more times Mm -hmm. in Florida, Indiana, Texas, and Michigan. Wow. Where Jeff actually lives with his wife and six children. So how did she, like... Make an excuse to go to all these places. I don't get it. I mean, I never saw like what she actually said to her husband. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you can find a way going to see a friend. It's a girl's weekend, whatever. Yeah. Okay. By September, I'm not giving anybody excuses. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I get it. I just. (laughs) We don't condone cheating until death do us part. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. By September 2019, Suzanne is confiding to Sheila that she wants to leave her marriage with Barry. Mm. Quote, I sort of wish he would just get fed up with me and leave, end quote. Mm. And, quote, I told him I'm done. I need peace, end quote. I have a feeling that that is a really important statement. That she needs peace? Yeah. Ah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) again, this case has more twists and turns than a cheap garden hose. I mean, this, just wait, this is going to get wild. Okay. You're going to be listening to this. Everyone's going to be listening to this and saying, are you got to be kidding me? Right? (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay. But Sheila buys her BFF Suzanne a spy pin Hmm. in January of 2020. Because she was concerned about Barry's behavior around her best friend. Really? Yeah. Suzanne had sent a text to her saying, quote, I wouldn't feel safe alone with him, end quote. Why? There are a lot of people who say he had a very forceful personality. Okay. He was... um, Was he controlling? I mean... I think he was a little controlling. I think he was a little obsessive over her. And I think he was a little possessive over her. All right. On February 2nd, 2020, Suzanne and Sheila meet up for a girls' Super Bowl weekend. And that weekend, Suzanne talked with Sheila about getting out of her marriage. But she never mentioned Jeff Lippler to anyone, Hmm. not even Sheila, her best girlfriend. All right. Now, this spy pin is going to record an argument between Barry and Suzanne, who's upset that Barry had either used or planned to use Suzanne's money without her consent, but with a promise to pay her back. So I don't know if that means she had family money put aside right. and he was dipping into it right. and wasn't going to tell her, but she wasn't happy about it. Okay. Later, February 2020, Suzanne and Jeff get together in Florida while she's visiting her father. And these two are also sending intimate photos to each other. Uh. That's what I read, intimate photos. To each other. Why are people so stupid? Yeah. Don't send a dick pic. It's out there forever. Yeah. 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 Somebody's going to get a hold of it. Yeah. The best one I've ever seen is when somebody said, got the wrong number, send me a dick pic. And then they got like Richard Nixon and Dick Van Dyke. And Uh, I mean, that's what I would do. I thought that was hilarious. It's funny. But they're sending intimate photos to each other and they're getting closer and closer They even talked about leaving their spouses and moving to Ecuador. Wow. Which sort of flies in the face of, you know, everybody saying she's completely devoted to her daughters. Yeah. And let's not forget, he's got six children. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a litter at home. I mean, I keep saying it, but it's like he's got the Brady Bunch at home. Yeah. Yeah. On May 6, 2020, at 1017 a.m., 
Suzanne lets Barry know their marriage is over. She texts him, quote, I'm done. I could care what you've been up to for years. We just need to figure this out civilly, end quote. Oh, so she said I could care less? She didn't say I could care less. Her quote is, I could care what you've been up to for years, which I think is really just her shorthand for. I could care less. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't give I don't give a flip. I get it. But Barry is going to delete this text off of his phone. Really? At 3.51 p.m. that same day, Barry texted Suzanne, quote, I promise you are wrong about all the crazy thoughts about me. Only a fool would stray from an angel like you. When I'm dead, which won't be long, you guys will be taken care of, end quote. Wow. Then on Thursday, May 7th, Suzanne and her lover, Jeff, texted a lot that day. Barry and Suzanne have pizza that night, look at houses around town. She described the evening to Jeff a little bit later that night as, quote, a fine, quiet night, end quote. Now, the daughters, Mallory and Macy, are away on a camping trip in Idaho and are both out of the house. They're going to be back on Sunday, Mother's Day. Okay. So the Friday before Mother's Day, Friday, May 8th at 7.02 a.m., Suzanne saved on her cell phone's note application, which is where I just keep a grocery list most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. She has a list of grievances, which were her reasons to leave her marriage. Wow. One of those said that Barry accused her of having a boyfriend. Well, she does. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. She does. All right. Another said, quote, act like I'm intruding in the garage, end quote. He thought she had cameras in the garage. And she did have this spy pin because she's trying to catch Barry in an affair. She wants to catch him in an affair so badly. I think because then she's got her out. Yeah. Then at 9.28 a.m., Suzanne texted her sister Melinda about how hard it was, quote, dealing with the harsh abrasiveness and showing respect, end quote. Hmm. And her sister Melinda didn't know what to say to her. She didn't know how to help guide her. Okay. At 10 a.m., Suzanne and her husband Barry had a series of phone calls, which ended when Barry texted, quote, I love you, Suzanne, end Mm. quote. Wow. Now, the next 48 hours are going to be studied, turned upside down, inside out, and quite honestly, I don't know what to say about this case. Hmm. Everybody is going to have their own opinion, I promise you. Okay. I want to give you a 10,000-foot flyover before I go into the details. Okay. It's Saturday before Mother's Day. Barry leaves the house to work. He comes home for lunch. He goes back out and returns home around 2.45-ish. Not long after he arrives home, his phone goes into airplane mode. Okay. It comes alive the next morning at 4.30-ish when Barry says he wakes and leaves the house at 5 a.m., on Sunday, Mother's Day. Okay. He's off to work a job an hour and a half away from home on Mother's Day. Okay. Barry says he can hear Suzanne snoring when he leaves that morning. And by that night, no one has heard from Suzanne. Hmm. Her daughters are worried because they've tried to reach their mom to say, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. We love you. She's not picking up her phone. Her phone's going straight to voicemail. Hmm. A neighbor gets involved and sees that Suzanne's bike is gone from the house, but her SUV is still in the garage. Barry is still an hour and a half away, 
And after he gets the first call that her bike is gone, but her SUV is there, he doesn't leave right away. When he does make it home, there are police waiting. They have found Suzanne's bike, but not Suzanne. She is missing. Mm. So let me rewind. On Saturday, May 9th, that morning, the Saturday right before Mother's Day, Suzanne texted her lover, Jeff, quote, we need to be husband and wife, end quote. Mm. In one of the 59 text messages exchanged between the two of them that day. Wow. 59 text messages. Jeez. Honey, I would turn my phone off if you tried to text me 59 times. Uh, My texts are usually three words. Yeah. K. (laughs) Okay. K. Yes. No. (laughs) He's a man of few words. I'm a man of few texts. (laughs) (laughs) He is. It's true. But at 11 a.m., Barry comes home for lunch, and then he left to change the blade to his bobcat. At 2.05, Suzanne sends a selfie to Jeff. So Barry's out of the house. Mm -hmm. He's off working on his bobcat. Right. At 2.05, Suzanne sends a selfie to Jeff. It's a bikini pic, and she's in her garden. Okay. Quote, I'm just so in love with you. What you up to? End quote. At 2.06, she texts Jeff, quote, Barry's not home. Want to strip down and get naked, LOL. Wow. End quote. What was her point? <laughs> she says she'll load up her WhatsApp account. Load up her WhatsApp account. So I don't use WhatsApp. I've, I talk about it in some books that I've written about just because the messages go away. But what is she loading up? Nudes? Yeah. Then at 2.11, she texts, okay. I'm on WhatsApp to Jeff. Right. At 2.26, Suzanne's husband, Barry, texts back, quote, done, headed back, end quote. Okay. No one knows if Suzanne saw this message or not because Barry follows up with, quote, did you leave, question mark, end quote. Hmm. Then between 2.42 and 2.44 p.m., You'll notice these these times are very precise. Yeah, I was going to say. There's a reason for that. All right, all right. Between 2.42 and 2.44, Barry goes home and his phone showed that he's moving around the outside of the house. It's pinging all around the outside of his home. Hmm. So was he chasing Suzanne before some sort of final confrontation? Right. Later when he's asked about it, he says to police, let me think about that. Then he explains he was shooting chipmunks. (laughs) Okay. Why? Because they got in his heater and caused a bunch of problems. So he would chase them and shoot them. Okay. And I had to think he must be a pretty good shot. Yeah. Because chipmunks are fast. (laughs) Well, unless you've got like a 12 gauge. Well, maybe that's what he's shooting them with. Yeah. But all I could think of was Scotty chases the chipmunks (laughs) who eat the flowers in my garden. Yeah. And he's only caught... Two. Two. Yep. And there's way more than two. <laughs> there are. As evidenced by my flowers. Yep. And but my, that's what he's doing. And my tomato plants. And your tomato plants. <laughs> Rob's got a garden. So, yeah. Yeah. So, he must be pretty daggone good. Yeah. Her best friend, Sheila, tries to reach her, Suzanne, sending three Snapchat messages between 6.40 and 6.48 p.m. with no luck and no response. All right. 
Barry will say that there was nothing out of the ordinary on that Saturday. He worked in the morning. He came home and had lunch with Suzanne, and then they went for a hike. And then later that evening, he grilled a steak for their dinner. They had sex. When they went to bed, quote, it's actually one of the best nights we've had in a while, end quote. Mm. Between 9.24 and 9.52 p.m., telematics on Barry's Ford truck show that the doors of Barry's truck opened and closed over and over. Now, let me stop and explain telematics. Okay. Telematics are vehicle forensics, which is pretty cool. Okay. So... I read this and I thought, my car, when anybody drives my car, I get a little text alert telling me that the car's ignition has been engaged. Right. And it also tells me that somebody is driving my car over the speed limit, <laughs> Rob. Well, or evidenced by our daughter being home last week and her taking. Yes. <laughs> and when my daughter was home, she drove my car and I sent her a screen capture showing that she'd started the car and one second later, she was over the speed limit. <laughs> But these little conveniences and gadgets on newer cars, right, they leave a digital footprint. Everything leaves a digital footprint now. Pretty much. Yeah. At 9.25 p.m., telematics showed the gears went into reverse. The truck backed 96 feet to the edge of the driveway. Then sometime that night, Suzanne's Facebook codes were reset, and people started friending her there. She actually gained 23 friends from Indiana. Really? Overnight. Wow. 20 of them were men. Okay. Now, here's the interesting part. From Saturday at 2.47 p.m. until 4.37 a.m. the next Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. Barry's phone goes into... Airplane mode. Airplane mode. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Why was that? He's preventing the phone from sending or receiving calls. No text messages. It's for six hours. Right. And for those six hours, Barry is untraceable. Okay. But according to the telematics on his Ford truck, Uh from 3.25 a.m. to 3.52 a.m., the doors of Barry's truck were opened and closed repeatedly. Then at 4.23 a.m., Suzanne's phone pinged for the very last time. Her cell phone will never be found or pinged again. Really? At 4.30 a.m., Barry says that Sunday morning, May 10th, Mother's Day, he woke up at 4.30. He'd set himself an alarm. He's leaving early for a landscaping job near Denver, which is about 150 miles from their Salida home. Okay. Suzanne's in bed sound asleep when he left at around 5 a.m., according to him. Snoring. Yeah. (laughs) Snoring. Yep. I don't snore. Yes, she does. (laughs) Only when I'm tired or my allergies are bad. Don't make these people think that I'm over there sawing logs every night. At 5 a.m., Barry says he left for Broomfield to fix a retaining wall for his landscaping company. This is the town that's an hour and a half away. And as he's leaving, he's supposed to turn right to head to his destination. But his cell phone showed that he went left. Mm. And when police ask him about this, he will later say, well... I was looking for an elk. (laughs) He saw an elk. You started tracking him. The chipmunks and the elks. We got chipmunks. We got elks. Just wait. Thank God we don't live in Africa because there'd be an elephant in there somewhere. (laughs) I guess Colorado's just filled (laughs) with all kinds of wildlife. I I know there is a lot of wildlife in Colorado. Don't email me. I get it. 
At 5.38 a.m., Barry texts his own mother, Happy Mother's Day. And then by 6.56 a.m., Barry is near Bailey on his way to the Broomfield job. At 8.41 a.m., Barry told police he tried texting Suzanne Happy Mother's Day and got no response, but added that this was not unusual because cell service is really spotty around their house. <laughs> okay. Then at 8.10, Barry arrived in Broomfield, and soon after, surveillance cameras and truck data showed him throwing trash away at various places in Broomfield, Colorado. Oh, man. First, a bus stop, then a hotel trash can. 835 surveillance video from a hotel showed Barry walk through the front doors. At 841 a.m., Barry texted Suzanne that he'd made it to Broomfield and asked her to call him when you got a chance. Hmm. Quote, you up? Happy Mother's Day. I love you, end quote. Okay. At 1010, Barry leaves the hotel, and during that morning, he visited a McDonald's, and he threw something out that was kind of small. Later, he's going to tell police it's just wrappers. Okay. Then he visited a car wash and a men's warehouse store where he throws away more trash, big (laughs) trash. But there's not a camera to record it. Dude's got a lot of trash. He does. He also visits the work site where he's supposed to repair this retaining wall. He's there for about 20 minutes, but he didn't follow through with any work. Because it was prohibited on Sundays. Mm. It's Mother's Day, first off. But I also read that the work was scheduled on Monday anyway. It Uh, wasn't scheduled for Mother's Day. Wow. From 12.42 until 5.55 p.m., surveillance video shows that Barry did not leave his hotel room. At 3.30 p.m., he texts Suzanne to call him. And then Barry's daughter Mallory gets in touch with her dad to say, I can't get in touch with mom. Mm. So Barry calls their neighbor, Janine Ritter, and says, do you mind to go over and check on Suzanne's bike? He's very specific. Go over and check on Suzanne's bike. Okay. He's saying that she went on a bike ride. Okay. And at 515, neighbor Janine Ritter calls Barry to let him know Suzanne's missing. Her bike's gone. Hmm. Her Range Rover is in the garage. Wow. So at 5.15, Barry knows his wife is missing. She's not responded to any of his texts or to his daughters, but he doesn't leave his location in Broomfield right away. Okay. At 5.38 p.m., investigator Alex Walker is told Suzanne is missing. And as nightfall approaches, deputies arrive at the Morphew home and discover Suzanne's bike is in a ravine near the house. Mm. The handlebars are twisted. There is no Suzanne. Okay. At 5.45, Barry gets a second call from the neighbor. This time, Barry finally leaves at 6 p.m. He makes several trips to his truck, bringing in tools, shovels, things like that into the hotel. And he makes arrangements for his workers to be at this hotel, and he leaves the tools there for them. Hmm. He'd arranged for one of the guys who was coming in to take over to stay in his hotel room, the one he'd been in all day. And when Barry's employee, one of his workers, who's going to take over the hotel room, walks into that room, he said the smell of chlorine was so strong, he had to leave. (laughs) Wow. Okay. 
At around 6 p.m., Miles Harden, a friend of the daughter, Macy, is contacted by law enforcement. He drove around and looked for Suzanne with no luck. And he told the deputies that Suzanne had never gone up the trail where her bike was found because, quote, the gains are hard and it's a crazy climb, end quote. Mm. At 8.46 p.m., finally, Barry makes it home in his truck. He asked the deputies if they, quote, saw any cats on the road, end quote. He's not talking about kitty cats. He's talking about mountain lions. Oh, okay. So he's thinking now, he's like planting that seed. Sure. Maybe a mountain lion got her. Right. They respond that they had not seen one recently. And again, this is going to be one of Barry's theories that she's attacked by a mountain lion. And Barry's emotional just for a few minutes. Then the next day, on Monday, May 11th, investigators speak with Barry around 1 p.m. Suzanne was supposed to have a cancer treatment but didn't show up for the appointment. Okay. Searchers are organizing. They're out looking for Suzanne. And Barry is the police's number one suspect. Yeah, yeah. Barry also shows up that night, and he has scratches on his arm. He says it's from a hike. May 12th, 2020, investigators get a search warrant for Barry's truck. So the last time anybody sees her is Saturday or speaks with her is Saturday. Sunday is Mother's Day. That's when they figure out that she's nowhere to be found. Right. Monday, she doesn't show up for her last cancer treatment or a follow-up for her cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, they've got a search warrant. Gotcha. Search dogs are called in to do smell tests on the vehicle. They find... No blood inside or outside of the truck. All right. They seal off his home and search everything because eight out of 10 times when a spouse is murdered, it's the other spouse that killed him. Really? Eight out of 10 times. Wow. That's not an 80% of the time. Wow. Till death do us part. <laughs> Just get a divorce. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Inside the house, they find that one of the daughter's beds has been stripped of its sheets. The clean sheets are in the dryer. Also in the dryer is a plastic cap. It's a plastic cap that goes to... A Clorox bottle. A trank dart, a tranquilizer dart used to subdue or put animals to sleep. And Barry tells the police he's an experienced trank dart hunter. Okay. He would use them illegally to sedate deer to remove their antlers in order to sell them. Oh, God. Wow. He's that guy. Yeah, he, he's a stand-up guy. On May 13th, Suzanne's turquoise bike helmet is found undamaged. It's less than a mile away from where they found the bike and 10 meters off the highway. So the police and the investigators are like, it's almost like somebody was driving down the highway and went. <laughs> Just tossed it tossed out. Tossed it out the window. Yeah. And the investigators suspect she's never been on her bike. She didn't take a bike ride because her camelback and her sunglasses, she always takes these two things with her when she rides anywhere. They're in the front seat of her Range Rover. And the SUV is still in the garage. Now, they do go through the car looking for blood, fingerprints, DNA, all of that kind of stuff. By May 15th, the evidence response team of the Denver division of the FBI shows up to help. 
Then two days later on May 17th, Barry puts out a heartfelt message on Facebook and a $200,000 reward for any information leading to where his wife might be. Of course he put a $200,000. He knew he was never going to have to pay out. Quote, oh, Suzanne, if anyone is out there that can hear this, that has you, please, we'll do whatever it takes to bring you back. We love you. We miss you. Your girls need you. No questions asked, however much they want. I will do whatever it takes to get you back. Honey, I love you, and I want you back so bad, end quote. (laughs) Okay. Also around this time, getting, you know, the press is happening. Her lover, Jeff Libler, discovers, he's off in Michigan, that his mistress slash lover, Suzanne, is missing. Yeah. So he quietly deletes his social media accounts and he just sort of fades into the background. (laughs) Slithers into the background. He just goes back into a hole. Wow. He doesn't come forward. And I mean, he's got a wife and six kids. Nobody knows about this affair. No one. Wow. May 19th and 20th, 2020, NecroSearch geologists conducted ground-penetrating radar surveys they come up with nothing. In July, Colorado Bureau of Investigators called Barry, and Barry invites them over for steaks. They want to interview him. So he invites them over, and they eat together, and they prayed for Suzanne. <laughs> but a day later on July 9th and 10th, 2020, Barry and his daughters were told to leave the house because the investigators want to search. And they find no blood inside. But they still theorize that Barry shot Suzanne with this trank gun to sedate her. Barry says no, just getting the antlers illegally. Right. And then something's happened to her. Months later, in November of 2020, investigators discover recordings on the spy pen that Suzanne bought and was using to try to catch Barry in an affair. Wow. They also figure out that it's Suzanne who was in a sexual or a love relationship with a man named Jeff Libler, (laughs) and that the two secretly met six times during a a year-and-a-half-long relationship. Wow. So who do you think they want to talk to now? I think Jeff's going to get a call. They want to talk to Jeff. Yep. On November 13th, 2020, police have a little chit-chat with him. He tells them that nobody knew about that relationship, including Suzanne's closest friends or family. He also has an alibi. One year later, almost to the date, on May 5th, 2021, they've gone a whole year of trying to, like, find stuff and look into things and talking to people. Right. And a year later, almost a whole year later, Barry Morphew is arrested and charged with first-degree murder, tampering with evidence, and attempting to influence a public servant. Really? I read that part about the public servant, and I thought, was that the steak? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know steaks could be Was held. that the steak dinner? The steak will be held in contempt. Yeah. Suzanne's body is not recovered, but Chafee County Sheriff John Spezzi said, quote, our belief is that Suzanne is not alive at this time, mm. end quote. Three months later, on August 9th, 2021, Barry's preliminary hearing takes place where prosecutors presented evidence to a judge to determine if there's enough to send the case to trial. Barry's daughters are there that day. They show support for him. These two have always believed their dad had nothing to do with their mother's disappearance. Right. But while Barry is in jail being held without bond, the investigation moves forward. And what they find is that after they search Suzanne's car— 
they find DNA on the glove box that did not match Barry. And it didn't match her lover, Jeff, either. Hmm. But it was a partial match to an unknown man who'd attacked and raped three other women in Tempe, Arizona and Chicago, Illinois. Really? I told you. Wow. More twists and turns. Wow. Six weeks later, on September 20th, 2021, 11th Judicial District Chief Judge Patrick Murphy ruled to let Barry out of jail on a $500,000 cash-only bail. He walked out a couple days later after posting the amount. His girls are by his side. Judge Murphy also unsealed the arrest affidavit, which laid out the prosecution's case. Now, three months later in December of 2021, Judge Murphy, who's presided over the case, he removes himself after the defense attorneys complained about a conflict of interest. I don't know what it is. I didn't go any further than that, but he does recuse himself. He doesn't like steaks. It's all about the steak. (laughs) In February 2022, the murder trial is moved from Chafee County to Fremont County, quote, Because of the size of the community and the pervasive negative pre-trial publicity since Suzanne Morphew's disappearance, end quote. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you think? (laughs) This is a high-profile case in a relatively little tiny county with a really small jury pool. Yeah. And the media saturation is really high. Yep. Soon after, 11th Judicial District Judge Ramsey Lama takes over. Ramsey Lama. But when everything is unsealed, the defense learns of this DNA evidence in the car that matches somebody who's connected to three unsolved sexual assault cases. Mm. And the prosecutors in the case kept missing all these deadlines to have things in. And because of this, this new judge, Ramsey Lama, says, if y'all can't get your act together, I'm punishing you. You've missed all this stuff. 12 of your 14 experts are not going to be able to testify in this case. Oh, wow. Well, that's the car forensics and the truck moving around in the middle of the night and backing up to the house. Yeah. That's their whole case. Wow. There's no blood evidence. There are no eyewitnesses. On April 19th, 2022, less than two weeks before trial, District Attorney Linda Stanley files a motion to dismiss the murder charges without prejudice. And Ramsey Lama granted the motion to dismiss filed by the prosecution in the murder case against Barry. Wow. The case was dropped without prejudice, meaning that the investigation could be revisited should new evidence surface. Oh, is that what that means? So they can come back and rearrest Barry if they find something that ties him to his missing wife. Right. But remember, no body, no crime. Right. He walked out of court with his two daughters by his side. Mm. But investigators are saying, we think we're close to finding the location of her body. They think that Suzanne is buried under five feet of snow in a remote mountainous region. I don't know why they picked this area or why they think that that's where she is, Mm. but she is not. Okay. Then on May 2nd, 2023, just this year... Barry filed a $15 million civil suit against several prosecutors, Chafee County, Chafee County, Colorado Bureau of Investigation, and the FBI. The lawsuit stated that Morphew was seeking damages caused by the prosecutors, Chafee County, and law enforcement officials. Wow. $15 million. That's what he's seeking. Jeez. But just weeks ago, 
as we record this episode on September 22nd, 2023, the Colorado Bureau of Investigators unearthed remains in a shallow grave near Moffitt in Sawatch County, Colorado. Okay. They stumble upon these remains while they are looking for the remains of a missing woman named Edna Quintana, who disappeared in May of 2023. All right. Three days later, on September 25th, the El Paso County coroner identified the remains found by the investigators as those of Suzanne Morphew. Wow. They've recovered her body three years and four months after she disappeared. Amazing. She was in a shallow grave just off the side of the road, about 45 miles from home. Wow. Now, investigators have said that the disappearance of Edna Quintana and the disappearance of Suzanne, they're not related. And Edna Quintana's disappearance remains an open and active investigation. And I don't have any more information about that at the moment. Okay. On September 25th, just two weeks ago, law enforcement said that the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and the Chafee County Sheriff's Offices have concluded their search in the area where Suzanne's remains were found. Hmm. So let's look at the evidence against Barry. Right. Senior Deputy District Attorney Jeff Lindsay says their experts say the six hours Barry's phone is in airplane mode is enough time for him to dispose of a body. Right. When he left that morning, he went left instead of right, something he didn't tell police about until they confronted him. Mm-hmm. He's looking for the elk. <laughs> but the area of the elk, where the way he went to look for the elk, is the same area that her bike was found. Okay. Now, what about him putting all those bags of trash in different places? Yeah. Well, Barry says he's just cheap and didn't want to pay a landfill to get rid of stuff. Really? All right. Really? Yeah. And what about the trank gun theory? Well, there was a gun at the house, but it wasn't in the best working order. But what did he do in the hotel? Yeah. And why did it smell of chlorine in his room? Right, exactly. Well, the hotel explained that that particular room is right next to an indoor pool. Uh When police ask about Barry and Suzanne's marriage, he tells them, our marriage is great, no problems. But then they confront him with the evidence of the text messages that their marriage was crumbling and that she was having an affair. And then he didn't have a whole lot to say after that. I'm sure. Barry gave inconsistent accounts of what he was doing during lunchtime on the Saturday before. Although he initially said he'd driven home to have lunch and go hiking with his wife, location data showed him approaching the house on foot. Hmm. And Suzanne's best friend, Sheila Oliver, later told the investigators that Barry had stalked her and Suzanne on at least two occasions sneaking up to the house because he believed Suzanne was having an affair. Oh, wow. Well, she was. Yeah. Barry accounted for his movements, authority said by saying he was watching turkeys. (laughs) We got elk, we got chipmunks, we got mountain lions, and now we got turkeys. Wow. Later, he said he was specifically searching for a turkey that his daughter had shot with a bow, but they hadn't found. Okay. An FBI agent testified at the preliminary hearing that cell phone data indicated Barry came home at around 2.44 Saturday, and he began, quote, moving in a pattern around the outside of the house, end quote. Hmm. And when asked whether he was looking for Suzanne, Barry told the agent, quote, I shoot chipmunks. (laughs) 
End quote. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he also tells them, quote, yeah, I've shot 85 chipmunks because they got into my furnace and cost me a bunch of money. Wow. Quote. That's a lot of chipmunks. That is a lot of chipmunks. Again, at 2.47 p.m., his phone enters airplane mode where it's going to stay for six hours. Mm. Now, through multiple interviews, Barry was fairly consistent in saying that he grilled steak for the couple's dinner on Saturday night. But when investigators pointed out that they only found one plate in the dishwasher, he said, well, I must have hand-washed mine. (laughs) Wow. He's not doing himself any favors. No. Wow. And even though he said they went to bed early, investigators said his phone registered, quote, approximately 210 locations, end quote, near the house that night compared to zero to two locations the previous eight nights. Wow. From 3.25 a.m. to 3.45 a.m., investigators note that there were 80 telematic events involving his truck, including opening and closing the doors and backing it up in the driveway. Hmm. Barry said that his alarm woke him up at 4.30 a.m. on Sunday to leave for his landscaping jobs. But the authorities said there was no record that he had an alarm set on his phone. Hmm. So later he says, well, I just woke up on my own. It may not have been, I may not have actually seen Suzanne in bed, but I did hear her snore. (laughs) The locations where Suzanne's bike and helmet were found were in the opposite direction of the route Barry took to his job site, but his cell phone and GPS activity showed that he had driven by both spots that Sunday morning. And according to the police affidavit, he didn't volunteer that information, but when investigators confronted him with it, he said he'd spotted this elk and he was following it around. Now, again, at eight in the morning, he's at this Holiday Inn Express near his job site, and he's seen on security footage carrying trash bags and other items. And a half hour later, he left his room at 10.06 a.m. and went to this McDonald's where he was seen again. And these are big bags of stuff he's got that he's shoving into places. But when he comes back to the hotel... Barry returns to the hotel at 11.23. He walks into the lobby wearing a black T-shirt. Well, he was wearing a white shirt when he left his room and walked to his truck at 11.56 a.m. Okay. So it's just, he is all over the place. Yeah. He hasn't helped himself at all. Right. He's packing around these big trash bags. He's throwing stuff into dumpsters. They're showing him all this footage. And he's been making and receiving calls to his neighbors about Suzanne's disappearance. Right. And when he finally leaves, he's carrying shovels <laughs> into the lobby. Wow. The other thing that makes it a little hinky is that just weeks after Suzanne goes missing, Barry began to liquidate their assets. Mm. He sold their Indiana and Colorado homes. He emptied a nonprofit account and sold Suzanne's Range Rover. Really? Don't guess he thought she was coming back. Yeah. Wow. He attributed the breakdown of their marriage to her use of drugs and alcohol, but nobody else had ever raised this concern about her. Yeah. But when her body is found last month on September 22nd, she's 46 miles away from home in this shallow grave right by the side of the road. And the only reason that she's found is because they're looking for this other woman. Right. She's 45 miles away, but the problem is they don't trace Barry's car south on that day. On either of those days. Okay. And now we find out that the unknown DNA, it's found on the bike. It's found on her bike helmet. It's inside her Range Rover. 
It's on the carpet by her bed and on the stairs in her house. Really? So was she abducted by a serial rapist and killer? Wow. Told ya. Wow. Everything he does is hinky. Yeah. Backing up in the middle of the night. But there's all this DNA evidence. Yeah. Now, if they're going to charge Barry and take him to court on murder charges, they better get it right this time. Yeah, exactly. Because if he's acquitted, he can't be tried again. Right. Double jeopardy. Right. And based on the last time the state brought charges, they botched it like a Dominican Republic facelift. (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) But for now, we wait. So is there a serial killer rapist out there or just one conniving guilty husband? Yeah. You decide. (laughs) But that is the story of Suzanne and Barry Morphew. We'll come back to this one. But that's all I have to say about that. Hey, Hitch to Homicide listeners. The wait is over. If you're a reader or a fan of my Sex and Lies series, Book 10, Sex, Lies, and Rock and Roll is now available on Amazon. With a successful tour and two years of sobriety under his belt, Rock star Noah Hart is ready to put his secrets and the past behind him. That is, until his former bandmates and business partners are murdered one by one, and suddenly he becomes the prime suspect. When FBI agent Louisa Hathaway is assigned to the case, no one, including her partner, is aware she carries her own secrets, including an undeniable infatuation with rock and roll's bad boy, Noah Hart. As the body count rises, Agent Hathaway is torn between unraveling the truth and falling for the man who might be the killer. Don't miss this new book, Sex, Lies, and Rock and Roll, by me, Chris Calvert. Only on Amazon. Rock and roll will never die, but it might kill you. Well, Barry, in a weird way, has gotten lucky that there's some DNA evidence that, I mean, this whole thing is just wacky. I told you so many twists and turns and he looks so guilty. Yeah. So incredibly guilty. Yeah. But at the same time, there's this DNA evidence. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, it made perfect sense, you know, with chlorine in the hotel room while he's right next to a pool. It's right next to a pool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah. That's crazy. But putting the trash in different trash cans and even in the the dumpsters in different places. Yeah. And the big stuff he dropped off, they could see the big bags from another CCTV. Right. But behind the men's warehouse where he was dumping all this stuff, apparently, there wasn't a camera. Mm. But, like, there are pictures of him, like, carrying Santa's pack. Jeez. Yeah. We'll We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, let's move on then. (laughs) All right. To a little bless your heart. All right, first one I have, I'm going to call this, now that's a dedicated fan. Stupid, but dedicated. Okay. A regular customer of a record store took the opportunity as the cashier got occupied for a moment. The thief grabbed some 10 and $20 bills and ran away. Obviously, he had acted very spontaneous, being unaware of the fact that his act was clearly visible <laughs> in the front of the surveillance camera. Like like sitting right there at the cash wrap? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. But then something happened even more worse. Even more worse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a thief had reserved a CD of Pink Floyd by his original name a few minutes earlier. Well, that's not too smart. Yeah. 
that's not very smart. Yeah, the shop owner called the police after the act and the thief was identified by the police and arrested. Did he get his Pink Floyd CD? <laughs> yeah, probably, that's all I care about. Uh, probably not. Was it another brick in the wall? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. All right, number two, fishtails. Robbie Rose <laughs> lost his first place medal and was charged with a felony after it was discovered that he had cheated in a Texas fishing tournament by stuffing a one-pound weight down the throat of a bass he had caught. Okay. Do you remember Dr. De- I'm not I'm sorry, I'm stopping you in the middle of this, but do you remember Dr. Demento? Did anybody else listen yeah, to Dr. Demento? Of course. The song Fish Heads, Fish Heads, Roly Poly Fish Heads. I don't remember that. That's what it made me think of. Fish Heads, Fish Heads, eat them up, yum. I am showing my age. Look up Dr. Demento, sorry. All right. Well, the officials became suspicious when they placed Rose's fish in a tank and it sank to the bottom. Oh, he didn't even float to the top? No, just straight to the bottom. All right, number three and finally, you can't fool grandma. No, you can't. No. That's true. A thief was caught in the act in Iowa when he broke into the house of 93-year-old Ruth Bradshaw. <gasps> Ruth has seen some shit in her day. Yep. <laughs> She's not taking it off anybody. No. She knew immediately that she could not overpower him with physical strength, but only with her brains. Okay. The old lady put the villain literally on the cross. She pretended to have recognized the friend of his son. Okay. Yeah. Miss Bradshaw served the intruder a rich breakfast and suggested him afterwards to rest for a while with oh, her. Take a, you got a full belly. Take yeah. a little nap. Yep. The burglar took so much attention as a gesture of thanks. The police woke him later on the sofa of, <laughs> of the clever grandma and arrested him. Come get him. <laughs> yep. So there's your bless your hearts. Can't pull one over on Mrs. Bradshaw. No, no, no. Well, if you have a bless your heart or you know somebody's heart who needs blessing. Yeah. All you got to do is go to hitchtohomicide.com where there's a pull down menu and you can also suggest a case. Yes. That's all we have today. That's my amazing husband out there. That's my beautiful bride in the booth. Join us next time on Hitch to Homicide. Bye, y'all.